Hey, race fans, Hall of Famer Daryl Walter here. You know it's time to drop the green flag on another edition of Meeting Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. So, hey, pull those belts tight one more time. Here's my buddy Hermie Sadler and Senator Bill Stanley. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's see what they have to say, boys and girls. Hello, everybody. I'm Senator Bill Stanley. And I'm leaning right. And I'm former NASCAR driver and Fox Sports analyst, Hermie Sadler. And I am turning left. This is leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. Good morning, Senator. Good morning, Hermie. How are you, my friend? I'm doing okay, buddy. And um, we mentioned last week that you and your whole family have been down for the count with COVID. And sounds like you had a pretty interesting bout uh are you how would you rate your are you 100 percent or are you 75 percent or or are you as you normally are about 50 percent <laughs> anytime i get back to 50 percent, i feel like i'm at full strength but it was uh an adventure uh i don't wish it on anybody not my worst enemy uh my kids uh had about two or three days of of symptoms and and so of course i stayed home and as we talked about last podcast uh since i was exposed to take care of them and my wife had it and everybody was down and and then I got it uh right you know when we recorded last time and and uh couldn't go to session and it got progressively worse uh most of it was the aching muscles and joints and then just not sleeping well at night so then you were just out of it during the day you'd rally during the afternoon feel like okay I'm getting around this thing and it would come and hit you again and and it just kept coming and coming and coming and then it finally let go uh, tested negative uh, Sunday night, Monday, and uh, and so slowly uh, getting back. The cough is still there, the the raspy throat. I didn't lose my sense of taste or smell uh, like most people did, uh, and I didn't have the fever, but I had an awful headache. And and so everybody who's out there, uh, if you're listening, uh, make sure you know I took vitamins. I was double vaxxed and boosted. Uh, took vitamins, uh, the immune boost vitamins, which I highly recommend. And and uh this uh this virus is uh sneaky and it's uh it'll get you one way or the other i'm glad that it wasn't worse than what some others have suffered from and family members have suffered from but uh uh it's uh it's good to be back it's good to be kind of back among the living because for a while uh it's not good i know Hermie, you're the same way i am it's not good uh we work uh like sharks you know a shark dies when it stops swimming and and so not being able to do much except maybe answer some emails and and then get fatigued from answering emails, uh, that's no fun in business. And, and certainly uh, I've got a lot of people depending on me in the law practice and whether it be my employees uh, or my clients especially. And and so um, that's a scary moment too. And so I'm glad I'm back and I'm trying to make up for it and, and uh, you know, just doing the best I can. And, you know, got back here and the SLG consulting motor coach had gotten in a rainstorm and a tree fell off and went right through one of the windows. And I've now discovered that you cannot <laughs> buy a window instantly to replace it in your motor coach. And my kids and family are planning on using that. They're renting it to go to Pigeon Forge. And I've got to find a way to put something in there so they don't have an open window driving down, you know, the highway. Well, what you need to do is knock the window out completely and get you a couple garbage bags and take the window up and make it look as you know as um like vacation like uh, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 and yeah, yeah. make sure Sugar you put song. a big stanley law group ad below it and say this 
motorhome belongs to the Stanley, proudly owned by the Stanley Law Group, and let them ride, and your wife will be really happy when about every 10 to 12 miles, she'll have to get out and retape or replace the garbage bag <laughs> in the window. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. That's, listen, I just solved your, first, I solved your first problem of the day right there. Yeah, man of the people. Um, got the Roanoke, uh, Roanoke, the Redneck Aquatic Center up and running. That was one thing I was able to do was to go yeah. out for about How about or two get that get done. And now I got a punched out window with plastic Can on we the get side a picture of, of you in the Speedo? Is that, is, that a, is that a VIP section of the podcast? Uh, that 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 is if you pay for the extra, not just the subscription, but the extra content, you can get a picture <laughs> okay. of that. Just yeah. like you can get a picture of you doing a keg stand at a uh, engagement party. Yeah, that, <laughs> I was uh, publicly shamed by my daughter uh, at a party that some other people threw for her and her fiance. You know, for the most part, the 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 regular get. Oh, the, let's just call it like it is. The old people went home. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the last old person left, the music cranked up. And about 15 minutes later, Cor and Cameron were walking over to me telling me, we think you need to do a keg stand at the party. And I'm like, um, I don't think that's the best idea. But I did say, if you can get your mama to do it, then I'll do it. Because I knew that would be a, uh, a shoe in. Yeah, um, that's an easy out. The the remainder of the wedding party that was at this uh, party partook in that, and so it was good entertainment. It was, uh, but not something that I felt like would be a good idea for me at the time. Well, I think that was an exercise of good judgment on your part. Um, but as Cora you know, told I, you before we started, you yeah. know, recording, she said. Shh, if I were to decide to enter this race for the Senate district, 17th Senate district, she thinks a picture of me doing a keg stand at my daughter's, uh, one of her wedding parties would be a vote getter. Your thoughts? It could go either way. I I think, um, (laughs) you know, listen, I think our generation invented the keg stand, if I do recall. And, uh, and so luckily it must've been a Hampton Sydney thing. Yeah, well, it probably was keg hits, keg stands. Um, so luckily there weren't uh, phones with cameras because um, I might have been caught doing one of those. I wasn't a big beer drinker back in the day. They used to call me Half Can Stan because, you know, I'd walk Along with a Q-tip and what it, how many yeah, nicknames yeah. did you have? I had a bunch. I, I didn't have more than. Uh, Would you say half, half what? Half Can Stan. Half Can Stan. You leave a, that, now that wasn't Stan Ray. Because Stan Ray would drink the other half out of your beer while, at the same time he was drinking here. Stan yeah, Ray, can... who, just back up, I graduated high school with, played high school football with before he came to Hampton, Sydney to join you guys. Right. Stan would average about a case of Budweiser on Friday afternoons before football games. Yeah. yeah. There was and, no half-can yeah, Stan in him. Yeah, beer was very popular back then, and uh, – and there was a place down at the end of the road at Hampton Road that you could go pick up your kegs for your fraternity. And, you know, you knew you had a good party if you had 10 kegs or 10 kegs or more. And, mm-hmm. and I wasn't a big beer drinker because um, it was always like eating cake for me. I always felt full after I drank like a beer or two. And then I wanted to go take a nap. And so, but, you know, you had to walk around. So I would take, you know, like the red solo cup and I'd drink about half of it. And my fraternity brothers would grab the cup 
and it'd be warm or the beer and it'd be warm and then and that's how i got the nickname half can stand because i just still walk stand. around with it in my Let me write hand. that down half can mm-hmm. stand half can stand q-tip swab uh, that's what they called me and too, then instead the of ones i heard around the general assembly last time sob and <laughs> write that one down <laughs> i know who you heard those from yeah. hey look uh, um yeah. we got a great guest hey, today. Wait, a minute, wait a minute Hermie. i know we do but before you get there you know Hermie is a name that you know comes from herman comes from your father that's a great tradition there and but you know when you have a name like Hermie, do you ever get a nickname or is Hermie pretty much encapsulate all of it i mean did you have nicknames um, I mean, not a consistent, I'm like you in my life. I've been called lots of things. Um, and I answer to most all of them, but I, I haven't, nothing <laughs> that rivals, nothing <laughs> that rivals half can stand Q-tip or SOB. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Cause it seems like if you got a name, and like then one, Herbie, one, so one lady I talked name. to in the general assembly said cocky SOB. So uh, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Scuzzy. Uh, scuzzy word used unseemly word, specifically unseemly yeah. unseemly yeah. sad there you go <laughs> all right so look we got a great guest today uh longtime friend of mine and my brother actually has been involved in racing with our family really since the very beginning back in the wood brothers days when elliot went to drive for them brett griffin who what a life story he has um you can we want to hear from we will ask him about his days prior to being involved with Elliot and my family and since mine and Elliot's retirement, what he's doing. And he's become not only a, a podcast star, but a TV star and all things in between. So I know you were excited to speak to Mr. Griffin uh, about his podcast and what they're doing and, and maybe get some feedback from him on what we're doing. But we will not be short on stories to tell with Mr. Brett Griffin coming up. I'm so super excited about this because, you know, he's he's awesome on uh, Door Bumper Clear, the podcast through Dirty Bone Media. Um, but even better and something my son Chandler and I love to watch, which is on uh, FS1, which is Race Hub. They do radioactive and it never fails to have a bunch of Brett Griffin uh, quotes, uh, usually to Clint Boyer. He in a back and forth between Boyer and him. Mm-hmm. And he never disappoints. And, and what yep. you like is just. The way he the way he calls it, whether he's sitting in the spotter stand, or the way he's calling the race a day or two after on door bumper clear, um, you know some people probably don't like, and probably NASCAR don't like his honesty. But I think that's that is not just refreshing; it gives you a perspective of NASCAR that's outside the probably the corporate norm. And and uh, and you know some people could take even what he says as they maybe he doesn't like NASCAR. I think it's because he loves the sport so much that he talks the way he does and, and in the end result he makes it better for everybody so no i'm i'm you've brought on some great guests here i know uh, you've gotten excited about at least one or two of mine but uh when you told me brett griffin was uh, coming on i was super super excited and big fan of his and probably will just sit back and let you guys talk and just just soak it all in as everybody uh listening to this podcast should uh, those are going to be some great stories that'll be fun before we get to that we have a Leaning right and turning left moment. You want to get your sponsor plug in. And I've got a question or two for you uh, for your leaning right moment, Senator Stanley. All right. Well, uh, of course, my leaning right moment is brought to you by Charlie's Waterfront Cafe in beautiful downtown Farmville, Virginia, where I might have or might not have done a keg stand or held a half can of beer during throughout a whole fraternity party. <laughs> the um, beautiful Charlie's Waterfront Cafe also has the tasting cellar in the basement. It's in an old warehouse right next to Greenfront Furniture's warehouse. 
Great food, great entertainment, great ambiance. Uh, if you're down in Farmville, or you're visiting the Moton Museum, you're, you're visiting your children at one of the colleges and universities that are there, or just there maybe to even buy some furniture, you need to go see Tommy Graziano at the beautiful Charlie's Waterfront Cafe celebrating over 20 years being in business. Uh, he started that right after I left uh, there. We were going to start a restaurant together. We had talked about it. He went and actually did it. Uh, and he stuck with it. So, uh, and he's been very successful. And the reason is because he's meticulous about his food. He makes sure that the atmosphere is always right. And Tommy always uh, goes to the nth degree uh, to make somebody happy. Uh, that's his personality, and it and it translates in his restaurant business. So the leaning right moment is brought to you by Charlie's Waterfront Cafe. And here's my leaning right moment. Yeah, you know, I, I really don't have one after last week. Um, the, the budget that I missed because I had COVID that was voted on was voted with bipartisan uh, uh, Republicans and Democrats voting for both of those budgets in the House and the Senate. Well, it's one budget, but one bill passes from the House to the Senate, HB 30. And um, quite frankly, when I look through it, I mean, we are spending $224 billion. Is that right, Brad? Over two years, over two years. I remember we used to spend like 80 or 90 when I started 11 years ago. We have now not just increased uh, the income that we bring in uh, to the Commonwealth of Virginia through taxes and other means, uh, and through ABC, really, it's uh, our biggest, one of our biggest profit makers, but we're spending like, as I said in a speech yesterday to the proud patriots of Smith Mountain Lake, uh, we're spending money like drunken sailors in Singapore, and I don't mean that as any slide against the our naval uh, men and women who serve because my dad was in the Navy, but my dad used to use that uh, phrase. And, and, but one of the things that I noticed the most that I hated about the budget, I would have voted no based on some of that spending and the spending priorities, even though we gave raises to teachers, our state employees, our police officers, our sheriffs, they deserve that. Uh, We had some pet projects in there that, that I think were unnecessary, uh, not good use of the taxpayer money. and, And you have to vote as a whole but also, too, uh, I passed a bill my second year, which actually established school choice in Virginia, a school choice in Virginia that allowed those uh, parents whose children were living at or below the poverty level and their schools were failing them in the public system uh, to get uh, actually scholarships so that they could send their children to private school and help them in their education. And those scholarships were funded by actually tax uh, benefits and breaks for those people that would donate uh, to these scholarship funds. In that budget, uh, they cut the funding by over 50%. And so for my Republican friends, uh, I would say that you may have voted for the budget for raises for sheriffs and and teachers and the like, and some spending priorities. uh, But we missed on not having the gas tax in there, the governor's priority for the gas tax. We missed on not totally eliminating uh, the grocery tax. And quite frankly, if my Republican friends are saying that they're for school choice, they really, really miss this one because it basically is gutting a bill, a, a law that I created uh, and fought for and fought tooth and nail to get through and barely got it through back then. This has been a bill that the Democrats almost every year have. Uh, this is a law that they have filed a bill every year to repeal and to kill. I've been able to extend it into pre um, pre-K pre-kindergarten where there is no pre-k offered for those children at or below the poverty level uh, whose parents want to get them into those programs that they can get scholarships to send their kids to pre-kindergarten they've even tried to undo that and repeal that Uh, so once you seed the field once you give up 
some of that territory to the Democrats on school choice. I don't think we sit in a very good position uh, to then tout that we want school choice and we're fighting for school choice. So I think that was a real swing and a miss for the Republicans. And I think it hurts the lab school initiative that our governor wants. And I think we came woefully short in producing the money, $100 million or more, that's needed to provide these lab schools in these in these underserved uh, areas, these underprivileged areas, rural and urban, uh, where we're giving children a chance at a world-class education when the public schools are not. So, And you voted for uh, basically trying to redefine skill, skill games, as we talked about in the last uh, podcast, but in doing so, um, created a convoluted mess uh, to an already unconstitutional statute and complicated matters that hurt small businesses. So I was very disappointed in that. This bill now goes on to the governor for his amendments, or his he gets that red pen, a line item veto. You may hear that, uh, that people want that in the federal government, but we have that in Virginia. So he can, he can amend that budget. I'm sure he's going to put some amendments in there. I hope he makes the, the gas tax elimination a priority in there. I hope we take a harder look at that and we do that. If we're spending $224 billion over two years, Man, we should be able to give that money back to the taxpayers. It's our obligation because it's their money, not ours. I always like to say we're renting it, uh, but we never seem to pay it back. This is an opportunity to do that. We may see the governor amend uh, the skills game um, legislation that's in the budget so wrongfully. But quite frankly, when I look at that, Hermie, um, I've looked at that uh, that amendment to that unconstitutional law through SB 971. And I don't think it affects us. I don't think it affects our injunction. And quite frankly, it proves our point uh, that they are incapable of eliminating what is protected by the First Amendment and what has also helped our small businesses during these tough times when, as we've said over and over, gas prices are soaring. We're at new records. Inflation is going, you know, through the roof. They're talking about recession, stagflation. All of this stuff just does not look well. And what are we doing in the Commonwealth of Virginia? We're spending money like those drunken sailors in Singapore. So that's my leaning right moment brought to you by Charlie's Waterfront Cafe. What's your take on that? Well, the biggest concern or the thing that's been frustrating to me, and we talked about this on the podcast last week, of course, I've got skin in the game, as you do, on this skill game issue. But on the bigger picture, I've been really frustrated by not just the fact that they inserted this language on the skill games and the marijuana issue back into the budget. It's it's concerning when they did it, how they did it. Um, as a citizen of the Commonwealth of Virginia and a small business owner, just the whole fact, I mean, they had a plotted, planned, carefully crafted scheme to put this stuff in at a time and a place when it tied the hands of the people we elected to, to, to debate and vet and vote on these issues in the budget. And the, the leaders that put that in and all intents and purposes handicapped you guys as elected officials from doing the job of the people of the Commonwealth of Virginia by putting that in there the way they did in the budget. And so I'm just fearful that, you know, take, take my personal interest in skill games and set it off to the side. The idea that we've opened the door 
to the possibility of people that are elected legislators having the authority, ability, uh, lack of oversight, lack of transparency, all those things, having the ability to put something in, not only put it in, but when they did at the 11th hour and not going through the proper legislative process, that's just a, that's just a, a precedent that scares me to death. I don't, I don't know another way to, you know, to say it. So if you can, if they start having the ability to do that, what's the point of having a legislative session? What's the point of having the general assembly session? If those three or four people are going to have the authority to do that, why spend 90 days over there in the, in the general assembly? That that's the frustrating part for me. Yes. I, I am working as you are trying to protect the rights of people and small businesses and all those things. We have a, legitimate fight on our hands to protect that. But more than that, I really worry about the slippery slope that we're heading on if this becomes a way that legislators find out that they can get things done to your what you said last week, get things done that they were not able to get done or didn't feel like they could get the votes to get done during the regular session. And to me, as a Virginian, uh, that really concerns me about my government. It's a dangerous precedent, but, you know, the irony of that all is also in that budget is legislation budget in the budget language that uh, restricts casinos. Um, there was a referendum in Richmond, as, as some may know, to uh, because that's how we allow casinos is the city has to pass a referendum. The people vote on it. Well, the people defeated it. And Richmond uh, city government officials didn't like that, and casinos didn't like that. And one of our uh, former guests, uh, Joe Morrissey, put in a bill for a referendum for Petersburg since Richmond rejected it. They watered that down. They killed his bill, and then they put in the budget. Well, they'll give him a JLARC study to see if a, a casino is worthwhile in Petersburg. In the meantime, casino said, we're going to just have another referendum in Richmond. And then in the budget language, it also said, well, you know, and a court said, and a court, just like ours, ruled that, yes, Richmond could have another referendum. And then they legislated in the budget, well, you can – I guess you can have that, but we're not going to certify whatever those results are uh, through the uh, Virginia lottery system. And so now, ironically, the casinos are threatening to sue for what they think is unconstitutional action through this budget. If the budget passes, oh, the irony, my friend, um, those those institutions that are from out of state that have been uh, trying to shut down small businesses, participation in the emerging industry of gaming and gambling uh, now don't like what's, uh, you know, they try to put stuff in the budget that would hurt small businesses or participate in that, at least, in my opinion. And now, oh, my goodness, they wrote something that uh, uh, that could hurt them. And they're they're not happy about it. This is wrong. This shouldn't happen. How do you how do you legislate through the budget, which is funny because that's what they were encouraging at the very minimum uh, of them, uh, of the budget writers to do against skill games. And we'll and see I how have, that plays out. I have periodically on social media when I have seen some of these people, legislators, on both sides of the aisle, and I want to be clear in saying that, it's, it's, it's legislators on both sides of the aisle that, that I have concerns about their protection of our rights as, as, as individuals and as citizens and as business owners. 
But occasionally when I get the opportunity, I'll see a legislator go on Twitter and make some comment about something that's important to them and kind of go out and, you know, they want to go out and say, hey, I voted for this or I did this and, hey, look at me. You know, next time it comes time to vote, look at what I did. And I'll ask him a question and say, oh, by the way, Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so, while you're on social media, do you mind telling me what is your interpretation of the skill game language that's inserted into the budget? What do you think it means? And what are your what are your thoughts on the Commonwealth of Virginia, the the budget legislating, putting policy in, especially when there's ongoing litigation on certain issues? Can you comment on that? And I get crickets. So, you know, that's a interesting concept as well. But I appreciate the update. I tell you what I'm gonna do, Bill. We want to get our guest on my turning left moment which I'm close to getting a sponsor on, by the way, my turning left moment, I want to include people's reactions and fan reactions to the inaugural Cup Series race at Gateway just outside of St. Louis. And I know Brett Griffin was there. So with your permission, we'll go take a break and bring Brett Griffin on as our guest, and I'll do my turning left moment with Brett and get him him involved on helping us um, break down the good, the bad, the right, the wrong, the pretty, and the ugly about the racing out at Gateway as part of my turning left moment. Do you Your agree permission, with that? Uh, permission is granted. I think that'll be a great uh, add-on um, and a great perspective to add on to your uh, turning left moment. So let's do that. And All I'm right. just so excited. I'm going to be a fanboy over here. I'm just going to be like, Red Griffin. Uh, we'll take a break, but before we go, I want to say that Pacematic is an entertainment company which develops gaming software that players love to play and can use their skills to win every single time. Plus, these games of skill provide vital revenue to keep family-owned businesses like bars, restaurants, convenience stores, and truck stops thriving. We appreciate Pacematic for powering Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, and we'll be right back with the legendary Brett Griffin. Are you feeling stuck making minimum payments on your credit card debt? SaveWithConrad.com can help, and you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Get rid of your credit card debt and lower your monthly payments right now at SaveWithConrad.com. Hi, folks. This is Hermie Sadler. Thanks for listening to our all-new podcast, Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I hope you are enjoying the show as much as Senator Stanley and I enjoy bringing it to you. Whether you're a family traveling together or a truck driver hauling freight up and down the highway, I hope you will take the time to visit one of our Sadler Travel Plaza locations in Virginia and North Carolina. Sadler Travel Plaza locations are licensed dealer locations for pilot travel centers. And we also carry Shell Motiva Petroleum products for our four-wheel friends. We pride ourselves on providing one-stop shopping for service, food, and entertainment. Our food options include Five Guys Burgers and Fries, Quiznos, Dairy Queen, Hermie Sadler's Faux Show Bar and Grill, Victory Lane Restaurant, Hunt Brothers Pizza, Dunkin' Donuts, and much, much more. Our locations include Sadler Travel Plaza in South Hill, located off I-85 at Exit 12. 
the Sadler Travel Plaza of the Emporia, which is conveniently located on exit 11B off I-95, and Sadler Travel Plaza on Highway 58 in Suffolk. We also have our North Carolina location, Sadler Travel Plaza in Dunn, North Carolina. That's exit 75 off I-95. We appreciate all of our customers, and Bill and I appreciate you listening to Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. And we're back, and they're already talking. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm still leaning really right. I'm Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left, and this guest is one that... Awesome. <laughs> Senator Stanley has asked for this guest since the very beginning. He says, I need to talk to that Brett right. Griffin. I need to know more about <laughs> Brett Griffin. I think Brett Griffin is cool. Now... Brett is on, but I, I, I got to lay some groundwork before we even let Brett talk. And that is rule number one. We are not discussing any trip to Las Vegas ever. Number two, oh, come on. we are fair, not talking fair. about anything that happened at any time, at any track, at any location after 8 p.m. Oh, man, that's going to be tough, but okay. Other than that. Well, thanks for coming on, Brett. Ladies and gentlemen, Brett Griffin, and that that ends that interview. Well, I think what Hermie is saying, Bill, is I like to know good attorneys, so I'm glad I'm on here with you because you never know when I might need you. I'm here for you, brother, anytime, free of charge, just like Hermie. I got to tell one story, though, since Hermie brought it up. It was after 8 o'clock. We were in Fontana, California, and Hermie gets this bright idea that he wants to go ride around on the racetrack in the middle of the night. So he and I get in this car, and we exit pit road. We get on the racetrack. Bill, we don't even make it down the backstretch. Here comes four police cars. They were dropping guys out of helicopters. You'd have thought we were going to rob a bank. We get stopped, and I'm like, damn it, Hermie, I told you this was a bad idea. So here comes all these guys to our window. I wouldn't roll my window down. I was like, you're not getting my hard card. You're not taking me to the trailer because Hermie had this bright idea. If we weren't out there going fast, we were just going to go ride around. So that's one of those stories that Hermie doesn't want told on here, Bill. So what happened? I mean, uh, did we come out cuff uh, with some new cuff jewelry? Did uh, did uh, something happen? We, you know, Hermie always says he's allergic to alcohol because every time he drinks, he breaks out in cuffs. What does that mean? It, it, that's exactly right. <laughs> Thankfully, we had the president of the racetrack See, with us at the time. I was wondering if he was going to get, get to that point. But they, they literally said, what's your name? And I said, Larry Bird. <laughs> I wasn't even giving him my real name. Mike Kelton was not going to call me back in that truck and rip my ass again for something the Hermes Pride idea Look, wanted to do. It's like I've tried Smart to tell move. Angie. You, you don't need a lawyer, buddy. You're doing just fine. I've tried You're to tell Angie, you know, tried to break some of this stuff to her. Now that I'm home and having to live at home actually all the time now, Brett, this is going to happen to you one day when you actually have to be at home one of these days. So I've been trying to break this stuff to her as we go, and she really likes when I try to explain something and I say, Angie, it was the thing to do at the time. You know. <laughs> but it when you got like the president anyway. of the racetrack partying with you and she goes along with the fact that yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Um, but while we're talking, yeah. we can talk about, I think it was Will Alderburn and Lee Seymour, and that group decided to go around the racetrack at Dover at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. And so I don't know why. And if you want to talk about Dover, we can talk about the night we left a club 
and tried to get back into the racetrack at 4 o'clock in the morning, and we had like 40 cars behind us trying to get them into the infield at Dover, and it looked like we were having the peanut festival parade here in Emporia coming back to the racetrack, and the first motorhome you have to drive through in the motor coach light is Mike Elton, you know, and we pull up and Brett and Elliot, all 40 of these cars, we took the whole party from the club and we're trying to take them back to the racetrack. They closed the club down. We had to go Close the club down. So instead of going outside at the club or finding an after hours club or do, let's take them all to the racetrack, but not only just to the racetrack, but into the driver owner coach lot at the racetrack at three o'clock in the morning. I mean, that's just a smidgen of some of the dumbass shit Brett, some of the great, bright ideas Brett had. Uh, <laughs> oh, blaming Brett now. That sounds like you. Yeah, right. hey, but it, it's fun to have fun. That's all I know. And I've spent, I was very fortunate to come into this sport in 1999 and get to meet Hermie Sadler, Elliot Sadler. Those guys are like brothers to me. They took me under their wing. And, and man, they just brought out the best in me. That's all I can say. <laughs> Well, I tell you, every time we've talked to Elliot uh, or Hermie about you, uh, there's always a twinkle in their eye and a little bit of a hesitation before they say anything. So that's <laughs> that's God. usually mean that usually means that uh, it's that old saying when when you when you're in the jail cell and you look to your friend and he's right next to you and you go, "We fucked up," <laughs> and how we get out of it. Look, uh, so I do go. want people. We got some great stories to tell, and, and Brett, I'm curious to get your insight on what you're seeing today at the racetrack. We we. We follow along. I hadn't been to the track in a while, but we want. But tell everybody, give us a a shorthand version. You mentioned getting started in 1999, but give our fans um, and listeners and viewers on this particular podcast a, a quick recap of your life, what got you into racing, a little bit about your time with Elliot and 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 since Elliot retired and what's going on today. Who who to the people that to the few people who don't know who you are. Uh, let's tell them. <laughs> yeah, so obviously Brett Griffin, come from Pageland, South Carolina, small town, grew up around a lot of dirt track racing. Um, started going to NASCAR races when I was four years old. Fell in love with the sport. Got really lucky. I mean, a small town kid that got into NASCAR a couple years out of college. I was 23 years old. Went to work for Sitco Petroleum and Band-Aid brand doing their marketing and public relations. And their two drivers at the time were Michael Waltrip and Elliot Sadler. So I got my start there. Uh, two years later, man, was so blessed to go to work for Elliot directly as his business manager and agent. He and I had a 20-plus year career together uh, side by side. In addition to going to work for him as his manager, he actually asked me to, to come be a spotter to the exact same year. That was 2001. And I'd only spotted two races in my life, and they were both for him. Uh, and so when he asked me to spot, I'll never forget, I was standing in my bathroom naked about to get my shower. <laughs> That's a good me. visual. And he's like, hey, I know, it's a great visual, ain't it? Um, a round is a shape, right? Um, so, so I'm like, man, uh, how do we how do we do this? And I'm like, man, Elliot, I, I'll, I'll do it under one condition. You can't fire me as your business manager and spotter on the same day. And he was like, okay, deal. So I signed up to be a spotter. Well, fast forward three years later, Dale Jarrett, Elliot, and myself started a marketing company together called Driver's Choice, which we had uh, the entire time that Elliot was driving. Um, so long story short, Hermie, I'm still spotting, spotting for college racing in the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series. Uh, I am still in the marketing business. I own my own company now called Spot on Activations. I am a podcaster with Dirty Mo Media, which is obviously Dale Jr.'s brand. Uh, I'm a huge podcast fan, so I love what, what you guys are doing. 
I also star in a docu-series, which has not started yet. It's going to be called Leading the Field. It is an agriculture-based um, docu-series where we're going to go around to awesome farms throughout the country and highlight what our growers are doing to feed America, right? So a lot of hats, a lot of things going on, man, a lot of fun stuff. Um, busy, busy guy. But, Hermie, that's kind of where I'm at today, man. And in terms of what you said about the sport, you know, we saw this thing explode really um right after i got here i mean when dale earnhardt died that was a tragedy but it put us on the biggest stage in in america from a sports perspective i mean we weren't in my mind that far behind the nfl at the time in terms of what we were doing with tv ratings and from an attendance perspective we were blowing the nfl out of the water there's not a stadium in the country that could hold 300,000 people like Indianapolis would or like Daytona would or like Talladega would. So um, obviously we saw the decline um, in the 07, 08 era, which I blame a lot of that on, on Goodyear. I blame a lot of that on NASCAR being greedy, the tracks being greedy. And I think what we've seen now, Hermie, is kind of... What do I mean now, by what greedy? Do you, mean? you say you blame Goodyear and NASCAR for being greedy. And, and, and just explain <clears throat> what you mean... <clears throat> With NASCAR, separate them, NASCAR and Goodyear. I think the tire debacle in Indianapolis was a disaster. Uh, when we had 200,000 people there to watch a race and we could I was only covering, run I was covering pit road time. for hot pass then, and I had Jimmy Johnson. He had to pit every 10 laps. Yeah. So I think our fans were very disgusted not only with the fact that the tires were failing every 8 to 10 laps, but how NASCAR – manage that process of the race i mean they did not want to see and i'll say it out loud they didn't want to see dale jr go a lap down in that race for a blown tire so when we got to the point that he was going to blow a tire which was that eight to ten lap window they threw the caution and i think we pissed off two hundred thousand people in attendance and five million plus watching at home and i think we you know you guys know consumer confidence Hermie, you're in a truck stop business um, Bill, you're obviously in politics. you got to keep your people believing that you know what you're doing. And we looked like for an entire four hours, we had no idea what we were doing. And I think we lost consumer confidence on the television viewer and obviously the person that was at the track. Because the very next year we went back, we went from 250,000 people there. Look, Bill, we'd have 100,000 people there for qualifying. We went back and we only had 8,000 people in the stands. Wow, and it was it went from a, a spectacle to an embarrassment, and we rode that thing until two years ago when somebody finally had a bright idea of hey, let's stop running this oval and run a road course, right? So, so I think Indianapolis, um, and look, we were in a little bit of a recession at the time too, but I think Indianapolis was the the start of the downfall um, where people that needed to be making good decisions weren't making them, and then on the green side, you know, we had tracks that were being built. Um, Chicago's one of them. Um, Kansas was one of them, and they said, hey, you can't just come in and buy a ticket to the cup race on Sunday. you got to buy a ticket to qualifying on Friday. you got to buy a ticket to the truck bush race on Saturday. you got to come in, and you got to spend about $4,000 per family. Well, hell, I can't. I'm not going to pay $4,000. I, look, I, I'm very fortunate in what I've done in my career. I'm not going to pay $4,000 to go do anything at a sporting event. That's yeah. too much money. You, you get over two grand, I'm out. It just ain't worth it. So I, I think that greed took over. But, Hermie, in terms of where we're at now, if, if you came into the garage and you looked around and you rode around with us for about a month, there are more sponsors in our sport right now than I've ever seen. Now, are they as big as what they were? No, because one brand, let's just back it up, UPS is not here spending $16 million anymore. 
Um, Sitco Petroleum isn't here spending $12 million anymore with Jeff Burton. Um, Kyle Busch, M&M's, they're spending a boatload of money. They're leaving the sport this year. But the sponsors that are here are spending that $1 to $5 million, and there's more of them than ever. What we're missing is that the, the Winston of, of the world, right? Winston Tobacco, which took the local track. It kept the grassroots racing. They did all the marketing for NASCAR at the local level. We're missing that, in my opinion, to develop not only the future racers, but the future fans. I mean, there, there was nothing better than going to, you know, South South uh, Boston and Orange County and, and Ace Speedway. And, man, and those places are, aren't around anymore because Winston left, if we're being honest. So if you're going to have to support that, somebody's going to have to write the check for that. And NASCAR so far hadn't stepped up and done that. Hmm. Uh, and that's amazing, too. Uh, Hermie and I have really taken it upon ourselves. Uh, I passed a, a road piece of legislation to, to celebrate the NASCAR Heritage Trail in Virginia. We were doing the same in North Carolina to try to save these small tracks. And, and there is that lack of support there, and I think the numbers dwindle. And what we've forgotten is that at the grassroots level in politics, that's how you win elections, by the grassroots. And for the sustainability of this sport, which we all love so much, you got to get back to the grassroots level because that's where the interest started. That's where you're going to get the young people, I guess, interested again to want to sit in, in the stands rather than watch it on TV or be looking at their phone the whole time. You've got to create that fan experience that you were talking about. And, uh, and, and, and NASCAR's really got to take that on. I don't think uh, individuals like Hermie and I, without other support, can do it. We've got a great uh, primary sponsor in our race team that does open-wheel modifieds that sees that. But you've got to have that other support. So you're spot on, if I may say. <laughs> yeah, uh, there you go. So, and, and one other thing, too, I mean, when you look at our sport, there are various times in our sport where various drivers propel it to the next level, right? You look at what Jeff Gordon did in the 90s, and, and a lot of people don't realize this, man. When Casey Kane showed up, he was like the modern-day new kids on the block for our sport. All of the teenage girls in America went crazy over how cute Casey Kane was, and he was this shy kid that when he put his helmet on, could run 200 miles an hour and spank your ass. Um, like we, We've got to have another personality come in here and blow the roof off this place, and I don't know who that is or when it's going to come. It's got to be organic. It can't be yeah, man-made for me, right? I've made this comment several times. You know, the last couple of years I did TV, mostly in the truck series, and what I enjoyed doing about the truck series TV is everybody wanted to be on TV. Oh, everybody knew the value of being on TV qualifying shows, practice shows. We tried to go to and get people that we wouldn't typically talk to in a race broadcast to, to, to get them experience being on TV, talk about their sponsors and teams. But 75% of those drivers, while I'm sitting there talking to them, before we come on the air, I'm sitting there trying to, you know, break down the barrier or, or, or loosen them up, you might say, to get them to talk, you know, and, and those kind of things. And, and that's one of the biggest things I hear is personalities, personalities. The other thing I hear, Brett, that I'm, because I know uh, one of your friends and partners is involved with this too, there's this, this constant push in NASCAR about diversity. I know Bubba Wallace gets a lot of attention. My curious, uh, I'm curious with you, outside of Bubba Wallace, I know Haley Deegan, uh, you're affiliated with her. Who Who has the next chance from a diversity standpoint, whether it be minority, female, that kind of thing, because the push is always to try to get the, not the hardcore fan necessarily, but the mainstream sports fan to pay attention to NASCAR. So if it's not a driver that's quote unquote, just an unbelievably over the top driver, say maybe like a Zane Smith or somebody like that, who seems to be who everybody's talking about, who, who in the, 
on the diversity side or the minority side or the female side? Who's the next one that has a chance? Because ultimately, you got to be you got to have success on the track, right? You do. I mean, when I look at diversity, Hermie, I also look at it from a racing perspective. And, you know, NASCAR and television, they put a lot of eggs in the Danica Patrick basket. They put a lot of eggs in the uh, Ricky Carmichael basket. They put a lot of eggs in Travis Pastrana being the next big thing. Obviously, Danica was a female, but the diversity that they were looking at there was they're not NASCAR guys. They're superstars coming into our discipline. And the problem with all three of those, those people is they couldn't drive. Right. They weren't going to be superstars. So now you've got this gimmick that you're promoting. And I think to your point, you know, NASCAR has got to be very careful on who they get behind. I think Roger Carruth has a lot of talent. I've spent some time talking to him. I think he's very well spoken. I know how hard he's working outside of the car. And Hermie, it's a lot different now, man. It's not about you knowing, you know, what shocks and springs are in the car. It's about you running the simulator. It's about you working out. And when you getting in the car, being in super tip top shape, um, I pray that Haley Deegan gets better at what she's doing. And I think she has the chance. The people don't realize she's only been on asphalt ovals for four years. You know, she's 20 years old. She came out of racing off-road dune buggies. So it's a big leap for her to show up and have to race Matt Crafton, who's been racing trucks longer than she's been alive. And, oh, by the way, she's showing up at the racetrack. They're not letting her practice but 20 minutes. He's got freaking thousands of hours on this particular track. So to expect her to go out and beat a guy like that, it's not going to happen. She's already a superstar. She's a social media mogul. She's got over 3 million followers on TikTok. We need her to do well. Well, how the hell are we going to do that, Hermie, if we don't let her test and we only let her practice 10 minutes every week? And she's still doing well, even with those limitations. And she also brought up another point. I think it was on your podcast, your great podcast, Door Bumper Clear, which was if we're going to get the younger fan base, we've got to make the races shorter because the attention span is shorter in her generations. What did, what did you think about that? And is that one way to try to attract that, that crowd that, that naturally flows to Deegan? Here's what I'm going to say about that, Bill. She's only 20, okay? So I'm going to assume that she's not doing what I was doing when I turned 21. When I went to a NASCAR <laughs> race at 21 years old, I took 13 cases of beer to Talladega Super Speedway on the top of an RV, and I was glad it was three days and not two hours. So I think she's probably (laughs) missing the the bit a little bit there. Where I think she's 100% right, though, is that younger demographic, our cell phones have to work at these facilities, and they don't. And until the states and the tracks and the owners of the tracks get behind that. Look, man, they had freaking 300,000 people in India, and 5G and Wi-Fi worked all day long. I was at St. Louis. Wi-Fi worked all day long, and it was because of the investment that the track made. If, if Charlotte Motor Speedway that's been paid for for 30 years isn't willing to go out and spend the money to make our cell phones work, young people aren't going to show back up. in the day, yeah, Brent. And, and one, would think, one would think, too, uh, and Hermie, at least with my kids, if you get the kids out there, my kids are recording what's going on on the track, and then they put it out on a social media platform, and they get hundreds and thousands of views, and that's bringing They're more your best marketers. Yeah. They're your best marketers And it's there, free. Absolutely. It's earned media. I remember back in the media. day, Brett, Back in the Nextel days when they first came in, they had the little Nextel phone walkie-talkies. You go to Talladega, and I guess it was on purpose, but the only phone that would work was the Nextel walkie-talkie. And if you didn't have one of those at the racetrack, you weren't talking to anybody. And I'm not talking about, I'm talking about not only communicating at the track, but your family at home or anything. I mean, they, those little walkie-talkies and those phones were the only thing that would work. So that's a great point. Brad, I want to bring up, um, something that I know we, we, we both love the sport and, and 
want to see it do well. And I, I think there's there's traction and momentum now that we haven't seen in probably you know eight or ten years in some in some ways. But somebody who is not talked about enough in my mind that finally got some recognition this last go around with the Hall of Fame voting, I think it is one of the people that has been maybe underappreciated as much as anybody in my lifetime with NASCAR is Mike Elton. And he is a guy that was connected with the drivers, had a great, kept the line of communication open with the drivers, but also could get things done on the corporate level too. And, And I think we miss some of that now with, you know, with the with the upper brass that we've got. I, I know Mike's still involved in a degree, but I don't think it was by just by chance that some of the strongest years in NASCAR was when Mike Helton was in charge. Because to me, he just he just had an ability to talk to me or you or to the president of Fortune 500 companies, fans, and everybody in between. I just think he was a great mediator among everybody involved. And I'm just curious your thoughts on. Mike and him getting this award with the Hall of Fame recently. Yeah, he, uh, I don't think, Hermie, nobody in our garage demands the amount of respect when you're inside of that chain link fence of Mike Helton. I mean, I, if he looked at me in the garage, me I too. was like, oh shit, please don't walk, <laughs> please, please, please don't walk over here because that means he's going to do something. I, he literally was an intimidating figure. Now, outside of that chain link fence, you know, I'd have a Jack and Coke with him. He'd sit around and laugh and, uh, and all the things. But, you know, Hermie, to your point, Uh, Mike Helton was the first non-France CEO of NASCAR, and he came in and he very much deserved that title, and he took us to the next level. Um, When Brian France got in trouble up in the Hamptons with the authorities, that put Brian France out of his position. And honestly, I was happy for NASCAR that that was happening. I wasn't happy this guy was going through this on a personal level, but for the sport, we didn't need a guy that appeared to be unstable running our sport. Um, but in reality, you know, when Brian France went out the window, I, I think Mike Helton went out the window with him. And it wasn't because Mike did anything. I just think that's the point where, you know, Jim France and Lisa Kennedy and, and Ben Kennedy now and Steve Phelps, I think that's when kind of the new regime came in and, and started molding things. And for whatever reason, maybe it was on Mike's um, accord that, that he wasn't around as much, but I think that's kind of what opened the door for him to be less involved in all these major decisions. When I finish the race these days and I get to the airport, Mike Helton is already there. And that tells me that he's not involved in all of the things that are going on at the racetrack because those people get to the airport uh, at least 30 minutes mm-hmm. after I do. Hmm. And that's amazing. I, you know, so what you're seeing right now though, uh, I see kind of a, a, a bit of a rebirth in NASCAR. What are you, what are you looking at? And, and what are you seeing, especially from not just the spotter stand, but you're intimately involved with the, the drivers, the, the businesses, the teams, uh, this new car, um, where do you think we go from here in order to really invigorate the sport? And I say that because before you came on, I, I said one of the things I love about you, absolutely love, is your honesty and, bru- and brutal honesty sometimes. And I think some people uh, take it the wrong way as if you're attacking NASCAR, but I think it's because you love that sport so damn much that you're going to let them know exactly what you think. So what are your thoughts now? I mean, what are we? What is NASCAR doing better? Are we going back in an arc in an upward fashion? And if we are, how do we maintain it? Our fan base is a fickle bunch, Bill. Um, 
you know, we want more personalities. And then the minute Kyle Bush says something we don't like, the whole world wants to crucify him, right? right. We want more personalities. Ross Chastain drives like an idiot on freaking <laughs> Saturday, Sunday. He wrecks, he wrecked, listen, he flat out wrecked Denny Hamlin. He flat out wrecked Chase Elliott. He almost wrecked Michael McDowell and Joy Legato. But when that happens, fans go crazy and they just tear him down and tear him apart. And then he gets on TV and he owns it. He's like, man, I screwed up today. I didn't drive very well. Well, then fans are like, well, you shouldn't have said that. Well, he told you the <laughs> truth, right? So I think I thought he was faking. Freaking, I thought I he was faking. Our, I, oh man, he's an all shucks guy, like Carl Edwards was. I mean, he's yeah. a guy that's going to do things on the racetrack people don't like and get out and smile and say, "Hey, I'm sorry." They, they're not sorry. I'm not buying it anyway. Um, but I think <laughs> our fan base is tough to appease on social media, and I think when we're talking about those NASCAR, you know, figureheads, they need to turn Twitter off after the race. They don't need, even need to look at Twitter until the next day. You know, I've seen NASCAR executives get into to unfriendly banter with our fans. Now, he's gotten a lot better at this, but I've seen the NASCAR executives go back and forth with a fan about, about an issue. Like, dude, we don't need an executive vice president talking to a guy that doesn't even have his picture on his Twitter profile and going back and forth in public. So I, I think we've got to take a real careful look at how we manage our social presence um, in the sport. I think we've got to take a huge look at the experiential side of what it's like to be at the racetrack. St. Louis this weekend, Hermie, man, I wish you would have been there. I've never seen a promoter put as much money back into an event as what those guys did. They had four stages all weekend long with live music. And I'm talking Nelly, Old Dominion, like hmm. bands that you've heard of. When the, when the race ended, they had four bands back to back to back to back that came on after the race for their 57,000 sold out crowd. So, you know, when I look at some of these other facilities, it's obvious that they're not reinvesting a, a percentage of their rake into the property and into the fan experience. They're used to what Hermie and I saw happen during the nineties and the two thousands, the sponsors paying for it all. Well, they're not doing that anymore. St. Louis, Hermie, they had, Every single freaking local barbecue vendor there. They had local pizza companies there. If we had gone, if we left today and, and we went to the very next racetrack and that track were owned by NASCAR, you won't see that. And the reason is the space is too high to rent. They get a percentage of your sales, and that local food guy can't afford to bring his food truck out to feed those fans and make it look like it's a tractor pull or a state fair or whatever it is. So I, from a fan, I'm, I'm a big experiential guy, Bill. Like that's what I do when I'm not on the roof is, is I, I mean, Hermie and I did the barn party, Saddler barn party. What was that, Hermie? 2005. Yeah. I mean, that was 20 years ago. Um, I'm big on offering fans something that they cannot typically buy or providing them an experience that's going to leave a smile on their face and a warm spot in their heart. Our tracks have got to do a better job. I really job. thought from the outside looking in, if you if you're checking a box on, you know if if Gateway, which we've been there before, you I mean, Elliot won the first ever race there ever. It was 200 degrees that day. People were dying in the grandstands. So that that track yes. has some stigma to overcome. But if if there was a a grade on checking the boxes for making a a a great impression for a new grand opening of a racetrack, they checked all the boxes and certainly did everything. And look. Just something simple. We take a lot of this stuff for granted. But for me, just sitting at home and turning the TV on and seeing a grandstand full of people and people standing up and cheering with cars coming to the green is something I hadn't seen in 10 years. And that was 
you know, that, that would be something with me if I was scrolling by the channels and if I saw that, just the people up screaming about cars are taking the green flag and the grandstand is full, you know, and it makes it cool again. Bill, Brett, I mean, that's something that, you know, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was cool to be at the racetrack. It was the place to be. Like watching professional wrestling back in the, the Rock and the Stone Cold Steve Austin and Jeff Jarrett days, it was cool to watch Monday Night Raw. We talked about it on Tuesday. Well, somewhere along the line, it got to where the NASCAR race wasn't the cool place to be anymore. And it wasn't as cool to watch wrestling on Monday nights and, you know, all those things. But they brought it back. They That, that was an old school feel of a race watching on TV. And by the way, I know we got a, a, a couple cautions at the end and we had a couple restarts that were exciting. But prior to those last cautions, watching the, you know, the 22 – you know, in Kyle Busch battle, the way they were battling and had strengths and weaknesses on the racetrack, that seemed like an old school, you know, battle on the track as well. So I would have been just as happy watching those two guys duke it out under green as I did getting those. So A-plus for Gateway, St. Louis, everybody there for doing it. Brad, I know we're getting a little bit short on time. I got two people I want to ask you about. Um Okay. One of the upstart teams, and you're affiliated with one we'll get to in a moment, College Racing, but one of the upstart teams, obviously, in the Cup Series this year is Trackhouse. Justin Marks seems to be a guy that is maybe doing things a little bit different, and he's younger, and he's more involved on social media. I saw a little banter back and forth with, you know, Denny Hamlin trying to throw a grenade over there and, Ross Chastain may not have, but Justin Marks threw it right back at Denny and said, whatever you want to do, Chief, let's, let's wreck them. Whatever you, you know, bring, bring it. it. Yeah. So I'm just curious your thoughts a little bit on Justin Marks, the kind of person he is, and maybe what a personality like his may mean for the sport. I mean, Hermie, five years ago, I was worried about ownership in the sport. You know, Michael Walter Racing went out of business. Um, guys like Rusty Wallace, Kevin Harvick, they couldn't keep their NASCAR teams afloat. And when you look at the ownership, you know, Roger Penske, Jack Roush, Rick Hendrick, look, those guys are, are all around 80 years old or older. And I was truly nervous for where's the ownership going to come from, right? Now you've got Keselowski involved with Roush. You've got Denny Hamlin with his own team with Michael Jordan. Um, you've got, you know, guys like Justin Marks. We've now got some young ownership in place, and that's a really good thing because the old way of thinking – may have been some of the problems as we've tackled some of the things we've tackled in the last couple of decades. Justin Marks will tell you flat out, he's not in the racing business. He's in the marketing business that just so happens to put race cars on the racetrack. I have loved everything that that track house has done up until he went at Denny Hamlin on Twitter. I thought that was pretty dumb when, when Denny Hamlin is saying, I'm going to wreck your race car. And Justin Marks' reply was, I can't wait. Well, I don't <laughs> think I would say that because what if you can't wait and it's a cutoff race going into the playoffs, and it now takes Ross Chastain out of the playoff. Are you going to still not be able to wait? Because I think you're going to be pretty pissed off and wish you hadn't came at it. But, again, um, he's on social media at a time where a lot's raging. If he'd have waited until the next day, he probably wouldn't have said, I can't wait. But I, I love what Justin Marks is doing. I love the designs of their cars. Um, I, I Honestly, up until that point, I don't think Justin Marks has made a mistake. Hermie, you've been watching this sport for longer than I have. Chip Ganassi Racing was around forever. They had one or two good years. They're having a stellar year. Daniel Suarez struggled 
to run in the top 15 in Joe Gibbs racing equipment when it was amazing. Struggled at Stuart Haas Racing when it was amazing. He now actually looks like he can drive a cup car for the very first time in his career. So it's obvious that whatever Justin and his group, Ty Norris, are doing, once they're inside of the walls of their building, they're building faster race cars than Chip Ganassi did. They're faster than Hendrick most weeks. They're the only Chevrolet that can navigate the dirty air and that can go up and run up front. I mean, Childress will occasionally have Tyler Reddick up there. Hendrick's going to, you know, obviously have, you know, Chase Elliott or William Byron up there, but they're not up there every week. Ross Chastain is up there every fucking week. The other, the other, and, and, and the same for you guys in Cowig. Uh, we've got Chris Rice. We had him on the podcast, and, and he's a riot, especially when you get him around a Saddler. Uh, they start talking in a language that's barely uh, intelligible and understandable, and uh, and he does a hell of a hell of an impression of one of the Burton brothers. But but you know he was saying, and and just his energy and and spunk and 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 enjoyment that there's this kind of uh, energy uh, with Cali Racing that you you've got to be feeling as well. I mean, they're going out there and they're having a great time. Uh, you saw the Portland race. I mean, how the hell did Almendinger win that friggin' race? Um, but you can tell that when he jumps out of the car or jumps in the car, he may be frustrated with some of the equipment, but he's just happy to be there. It just seems to be an attitude that Cowling's bringing to this track that, that I think is even different and, and, and I've not seen before. What's your take on that? So I, I tell you this, man, like we once again, we talked about new ownership, right? Now you have Matt Colleg, his first year ever, a team owner in the NASCAR Cup Series full-time. We ran seven or eight races last year to try to get our feet wet. Um, a, lot, a, a completely different scenario than what Trackhouse is in. Trackhouse paid a large sum of money to get two charters and to get an established race team that already had all the employees, already had all the infrastructure. Um, you can change the name on the building and start molding something really special, which Trackhouse has done. Colleague Racing started a cup team from absolute scratch. That is extremely hard to do. Obviously, Hermie's been a race car driver. He's been a team owner. He understands all the thing on the on things on the business side and the competition side and how hard it is, Bill, to marry those two things together. Um, Matt is a businessman. He's out of Ohio. He understands how to run a business and how to make a business uh, productive. Chris understands racing. He understands how to make race cars go fast. So you have in that scenario, look at what they did in Xfinity Series in a very short amount of time. They came in, and they were struggling to finish on the lead lap, if I'm being honest with you. Well, what do they do? They land a sponsor. They go hire a guy like Ross Chastain. They win their first race. Now they're winning multiple races a year. They're winning the regular series Xfinity Series championship. They're competing for an Xfinity Series title. The Cup Series, you're not going to show up start from scratch, and be able to do that. When you look at what Red Bull did when they came in, and we can keep that list going of new teams that came in that had to ride the struggle bus for a few years, it's going to take a few years, Hermie, right, to get them up to speed. But for what they're doing from a culture standpoint, Bill, I love them to death. I mean, my favorite team I ever worked on in this garage was Michael Waltrip Racing because of the culture that Michael had in our business. And that's the exact same way that Matt Colleague is doing this. He lets you be yourself. He lets you do your job. He shakes your hand and thanks you at the end of the day. There's not a lot of owners like Matt Colligan in that garage. Awesome yeah, guy. Yeah, and I'm ready to go get uh, leaf filter on my uh, gutters because uh, I'm starting to believe as well. But I think Ross Chastain needs to have Preparation H as his sponsor because he seems to be up everybody's ass. That's just my You know, and, and <laughs> Bill, Chris, uh, Brett, I was going to – that was my lead, and I was going to say, you know, you, we've known Chris Rice longer than we've known you. 
And I went to Bobby King, who was my old crew chief back in my Virginia's for Lovers days. His 80th birthday was last Saturday. I remember Bobby. And the first thing we started wow. talking about was Chris Rice. We always knew he had the the smarts and the talent and the ability. But just like me and you in some ways, he needed to grow into that role. And he has, I mean, just like that, you know, put all of his great tools to – you know, to work and is in a great spot with calling and we couldn't be uh, happier uh, for Chris. And, you know, uh, I know, Brett, you got to get out of here. And I'm just sad. I want to say this before we go that I've seen you on social media the last couple of days. You're looking for an attorney for a personal matter. And and Bill, of course, is a is a great attorney. He's doing a great job for me and small businesses. I'm just sad. I'm just sad we don't get to the have time to talk about the great attorney work that we got done in Myrtle Beach all those years ago that you took liberties with a beer bottle with a with a patron at a bar and ended up coming back 20 minutes later and rejoining the party. Uh, I mean, hey, man. thank goodness we know people in high places. Man, I tell you what, this has got to be a part one. So we've got to ask you back. And what I'd really like to do, Hermie, is have Elliot on here and you guys talk stories about uh, we just about can't do that. I, I, I have a hard time yeah, saying yeah. no to you, but we just can't do Listen, that. Hermie, you keep thinking you this is a live broadcast. This is a tape uh, broadcast. We can cut some yeah, things out after we negotiation. We just can't do that. We just can't do that. <laughs> We've already uh, done the, it. The, the the NASCAR world changed for me the day the Saddlers left the racetrack. I miss I miss you and Elliot, man, every single weekend. I miss hanging out in the bus. Hermie and I used to play Tiger Woods golf for money on Saturday nights after Elliot would go to bed. Like the memories that I've got with the Saddlers is by far the warmest parts of my heart as it pertains to the sport. I had a really hard time uh, coming back to, to, to work honestly in the sport with, with, with Elliot gone. I mean, he was like my brother, my best friend and, and it sucked. And, and I'm finally now, he and I are going to Myrtle Beach next weekend together. I'm going to try to keep the beer bottles yeah. and the cops out of it. I'm 47 <laughs> years old now, not 25. But, um, like, I mean, we're still close friends. But, man, it, it changes everything. And Hermie lived through a lot of changes in his career. I lived through – that was the biggest change in my career. I mean, having the same guy next to me for 20 years and then having him go home all of a sudden, and that's how it is. Like, boom, you go home. It was, it was a big change. But, man, I appreciate you guys – let me come on here. I love, I love what y'all are doing, and I'll come on anytime, Bill. Just call. Yeah. Me. Yes. Yes. We got to have you back. We'll, I mean, we'll, I think we'll call. We'll call this phase one. We'll see how we do with this, <laughs> and if we decide later on to bring in phase two, if we yeah. decide, if we decide, see. See, I think you got something to be fearful of, and you have nothing to fear, Hermie. You know, we bring you, Elliot, and and uh, and him back on there. Well, what man. would be really you, good? And what, Elliot would be a hell of a conversation. What would be really good if we could pull it off is get together in the same place, maybe at Faux Show, yeah. maybe somewhere in Charlotte, yes. get around a table, have a couple um, um, fireballs. I know Brett Brett is a fireball yeah. expert. Loves his yeah, fireball. Maybe that might yeah, be yeah. Loves his uh, something like that. But, Brett, look, we really appreciate you. You, you, you know, like family does, have been for uh, forever and ever. Really proud of you. And, and what you, it's really ironic and yes, cool sir. to see you and Chris Rice with the connection really through us it to continue is. to be able to work together and doing good things uh, in the sport. Uh, Bill and I are going to continue to watch. And maybe as we get down closer to the yep. playoffs, uh, we'll have you back on and and uh, dig a little bit deeper, not too deep, but a little bit deeper into some of our uh, stories uh, we had back in the day. But continued success for the rest of this year. 
Uh, good luck to all the colleagues. Listen to Door Bumper Clear, everybody. When you're not listening to our podcast, it is a hoot every single yeah. week. They never. And I'm still waiting I mean, for the, my the Tommy Baldwin. The Tommy Baldwin my, episode was minute, awesome. Bill, by I'm still the way. waiting for my uh, <laughs> invitation to be on that because it's my understanding, Brett, that the only time you've talked about me on there is you talk about me being fat, and I have not had an opportunity <laughs> to come defend myself on this podcast. So, you know. <laughs> We need to. Well, you're gonna have to drink about 13 cases of Slim Fast before you get back on that show, there, Hermie. Any Monday that you want to come, man, we'd love to have you, Hermie. I love you, brother Bill. Good to talk to you. Great talking to you. Y'all have a great rest of your show. I wish I could stick around. I'm having a (laughs) blast. All right, Brett, we'll get you back on next time. We enjoyed the hell of it. Thank you so much. Yeah, let's take a short break and then we'll come back and close this one out. This has been another good one. Best day ever. (laughs) Best day ever on this podcast. Damn it. We'll uh, we'll come back and close it out. This is leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the Senator. Powered by Pacematic. We'll be right back. Who's going to take care of your family if something happens to you? What would they do without your income? If you don't have a plan, you need to go to GoliathLife.com. Get a quick quote for more than 20 carriers. You don't even have to leave the house. If you need a medical exam, they'll send somebody to your house or office. You're in total control. You pick the rates, you pick the payments, you pick the terms. You're in total control, but it gives you and your family peace of mind. What if something happens to your income? Hurry to GoliathLife.com. Hey, this is Bill Stanley, Hermie Sadler's sidekick on this podcast. But when I'm not in Richmond at the Capitol or doing this podcast, my real job for the past 27 years is as a trial attorney with the Stanley Law Group. Here at the Stanley Law Group, we represent our clients in every courthouse in the Commonwealth. No problem is too small for us to solve. No case is too big for us to win. Whether it's criminal charges, traffic offenses, civil disputes, litigation matters of any sort, we handle it all. We make sure we treat every client like family because they are to us. Your problem is our problem. Your success is our success because we hate to lose more than we love to win. And believe me, we win a lot. Don't believe me? Go ask Hermie. I'm his favorite lawyer. Give us a call at 540-721-6028 and let us help you. Or visit our website at www.vastanleylawgroup.com. At the Stanley Law Group, we'll make sure that we are the lawyers that you swear by and not at. Wow, what an interesting interview that was. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm laughing and leaning right, and I just wanted more of that. I didn't want that to end, Hermie. I'm Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left, and how much fun was it to catch up with with Brett Griffin? We, as, as he alluded to, Elliot and I basically lived with him for 20 years, and for most of those 20 years, I stayed on the bus. We all stayed on the bus together on Elliot's bus. And man, we had some times. We had oh, some I fun. I bet. He, he, uh, he never looks like a dull moment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, um, he's on all the time, isn't he? And, and but you know he, what? You know, he, uh, he has a great gift of being able to have fun and connect with people and all that, but also be very good at what he does from a marketing standpoint and a sponsorship activation standpoint. I mean, he, you know, he, he loves to have fun, but he's very, very good at uh, what he does. Yeah, very smart, uh, very uh, brilliant, intelligent man. And uh, and I was telling you, uh, after the interview ended, I mean, I've got a lot of race car drivers that I like and throughout history and, and, and follow and enjoy their personalities. But of all the people in the sport, I got to tell you, I think Brett Griffin is my favorite. And, and it's <laughs> just his, he is Brett Griffin. He's going to tell you what he thinks. Uh, you don't get that in life anymore. And it reminded me of when you and I were talking to your brother, and your brother said, you know, one of the most freeing things about uh, retiring from NASCAR 
was the ability to say what he wanted to say, what he felt. And, and that struck me. And uh, rather than saying, Elliot, as he said when he was in the sport, of what had to be said or what, what corporate wanted him to say, I don't think Brett Griffin's ever had that limitation. Uh, and he speaks his mind, and I think it's really good for the sport. And, man, you, you made my day. And, and what we have to do, we have to do this, Hermie, because this is now booked, and I've had Brad Tuesday write it down. And when he writes something down, I always say it's got to be in concrete. Uh, we're going we're gonna to go down there in North Carolina, drag Elliot with us, uh, and you and sit around that table just like you said and have the time of our lives and probably put out about a three-hour podcast but it'll be the funniest <laughs> podcast we've ever done i am certain it would it's it's something i you know i've uh i've lived a crazy life and experienced things and been places and done things that i never would have dreamed or imagined and for most of those moments brett griffin was there and that's and that's great too and it's and it's great to see that you know those bonds survive uh, time and uh, yeah. and they only seem to get better even though you're not there on that constant basis and I'm sure for you and for Elliot you know during those 20 years you probably take it for granted and now you appreciate it more and more uh, when you have these moments uh, with your old friends yeah it's uh you know it happens just like that you know we, Elliot and I talked on our probably very first podcast or second podcast about you know when it was timed and why it was time uh, but the one thing that I miss is my friends. And I've said this not only on this podcast, but I say this just about every day to somebody, whether it's racing or otherwise. Uh, the best assets, biggest assets I have in my life are my friendships and relationships that I've got with people that I've got to know uh, over the years, whether it be in business or playing ball or going to, you know, school at Chapel Hill, and certainly I was on the road for 30 years, you know, working with, I'm talking about people within the sport, NASCAR, sponsor people, competitors, people like Brett Griffin, people like Chris Rice, all that. I mean, having great, solid friendships that withstand the test of time is is what I'm most happy about at this point in my life is, is – is having those people that you, you know, you, you got them, Bill. You just, there's a certain, you know, we all have lots of friends. You're in the public eye. I'm in the public eye. And we have lots of acquaintances, I'll call them. But, you know, you've got those few, few people, friends that you know that are just solid, that are there, you can count on. And, you know, they're there for you. And yeah. we've, uh, we share those bonds, Elliot and I both, with, you know, with that core group of people. And I consider you to be one of those friends as well, Bill. And that's really when it's all said and done and when the, when the um, fireball stops flowing and all those kind of things, you know, when you're really having some people that you that you can depend on and, and know that they're there for you, that's a, that's a comforting thought. It's, it's worth more than any amount of gold in a yeah. bank. And quite frankly, what I think I'm, I'm seeing now as we go through these podcasts is the ripple effect of that Sadler legacy as it still continues through the sport and with some of the greatest people that are currently in the sport all the way from your dad uh, and and the stories that they have about him and those lessons that they that he taught them throughout those years and the funny stories that they retell right down to look, look at what you know you built and you may not, you may not be as close to the sport as you were but that that legacy uh, carries on and I think that's uh, that's great for the sport and especially mm -hmm. you know you get to do it in open wheel modified too you're back into racing in probably a more relaxed atmosphere 
and a little less pressure. Uh, but you're making a big difference. I hope I'm a part of that, and I, and I appreciate your friendship. Like you, you know, it, it, you it's, can't it's even sad. know. But but for guys like Jonathan Brown and and all those racers at Open Wheel Modified, you make a difference, and that's a that's a great thing. It and it sounds. So I don't simple. like kissing your ass either, so that's it's hard for me to say. Look, it sounds so <laughs> simple, but all I've ever really known how to do is treat people the way that I would want to be treated, period. And treat people with respect. It doesn't matter. I've always tried to, in my lifetime, If I, whether I'm talking to Dale Earnhardt or whether I'm talking to somebody, you know, one of my regular diesel fuel customers, you know, at one of our convenience stores. It doesn't matter. I, I always try to treat and talk to people with respect in a way that I would want them to, to talk to me. Yeah. And, you know, that is something my dad has always tried to tell us and instill in us. And cause you never know, I'll tell you a quick story. Then I want to get to my turning left moment. Uh, I have some friend of mine named Earl Hall that owns a, a, a company down in Hampton, Virginia, blue water yachts. They, they sell yachts and big boats and all that. And they're family friends of ours. His son Connor Hall races late models and races on the races on the cars tour and all that. And I don't think it was him, but I remember him telling me a story years and years ago, where two people walked into the showroom at Blue Water Yachts looking at boats and components and stuff. One guy was, you know, dressed in a in a suit and tie and had a briefcase and all that. One guy had on uh, raggedy jean shorts or jorts as we call them and old cut up t-shirt and a ball cap and if you're looking to sell somebody a five million dollar boat and you're one person what does your inclination tell you to go speak to first the guy in the suit you know and so he remembers telling me the story of a, a salesperson going down and walking down the stairs to the showroom saying okay who do i go to first the the bum over here in the jean shorts or the guy over here in the suit and the tie. He goes over here and the other guy walks out, comes back later. But as it turns out, the guy, the bum in the jean shorts is Bruce Springsteen walking around <laughs> looking for a boat. And the other guy was an insurance salesman trying to sell them something. <laughs> so, you know, you just never know, you know, who you're talking to, you know, what impact they may end up having on your life at some point down the road or whatever. So, you know, and I'll tie it back one more time. And I know you and I spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about people's rights mm -hmm. and the constitution and all those things. And that's why those things strike me different than maybe they do other people. When people are talking about people's first amendment rights, and Second Amendment rights, you know, it doesn't matter what your statue is or stature is in a community. It don't matter if you own a business or work for a business. It don't matter how much money you got in the bank, all those things. Everybody has rights that should be protected. And that's the most thing I'm proud of is trying to stand up and protect those rights for in, in a lot of cases, people that don't have the resources or the platforms that you and I have to try to protect those rights. And so I just believe in everybody should be treated equally and fairly, regardless of any other kind of standing. And that's important to me. 
And totally so agree. that's totally uh, agree. That's that's one reason why I'm glad that we have this platform to, you know, to discuss these issues. So let's talk about leaning left. And by the way, turning left. We don't lean Some, left on the show, I dude. Lean, sometimes I lean too, especially when I was no. hanging around Brett Griffin. I would lean left and then wobble back right. Uh, but turning left, we want to talk about, you know, and I mentioned this when Brett was on here. What a home run! When I look at, and I didn't see all, you know, let, let's let's set the stage. The Xfinity Series raced in Portland, road course. I just wasn't thrilled with that race. I, I you know. Of course, weather had something to do with it, but when I look at whether or not I'm excited to see the Xfinity Series return to Portland, I'm kind of, eh, it didn't do much for me. Hmm. But when I look at the job that the people with Gateway and that racetrack and the show they put on for the entire weekend culminating with which I a race I really enjoyed on Sunday, then... I think they earned a return visit from from NASCAR in a big way, so I I hope that that works out. Um, but I met with two different people last week, Senator Stanley, because I know you brag about your sponsor on your leaning right moment every week, and I although Mr. Talley um, has been filling in. And his uh, weekly quest to try to recruit me to run for Virginia State Senate. You're talking about the Lee Ter- Tally, Harry Tally coalition to draft Hermie Sadler for the 17th Senate District in Virginia. Right. Is that right? Right. That's right. Great organization. But I've met with two people uh, in the last seven days about a potential partnership, not only potentially with me personally, but also with this podcast, as well as potentially with, listen to this, Stanley Sadler Racing. <laughs> I'll say that for you. No, no, no. I'm feeling better now, so you can go back to the Sadler Stanley I'll give you one more week just to make sure. I'm trying to okay, pump you up you. one more week. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, brother. But I may have a real live uh, paying sponsor for the Turning Left moment here in the couple of weeks that may be uh, not only – Sponsoring the podcast, but but maybe uh, be on Jonathan Brown's Open Wheel Modified uh, in races to come. Fantastic! Yeah, it just you know to me my my turning left moment was was the great race we saw um, at Gateway. You know, I've raced on that track multiple times. As I mentioned with Brett uh, Elliott, won the inaugural race at that facility. Back in the late 90s, I'm just guessing around 97. I'm not sure the exact year. But um, what I remember about that day was Brad was the hottest I have ever been in a race car in my life. The The racetrack was coming apart. It was so hot. The the pavement on the racetrack was, was coming apart. And that happened all day. And it, it, literally, they had a couple of people with heat strokes. That, that that passed away. I mean, hey, it was I it was just so hot. Yeah. And I remember my I had a cool vest on that quit working. And when I when I actually took that off when the race was over, it peeled the skin off my my chest when I Whoa. pulled it off that day. And I remember also not only Elliot winning, but we were planning to leave from there 
and go directly to Indianapolis for the next weekend's race. And so we actually stayed over on Monday and and did a brake test. We were seating in brakes and stuff, and it we did it early in the morning. Um, you know, so that that racetrack had a you know a stigma it had to overcome as well from being you know hot and middle of the summer and so the timing of the race was good the weather was good the race was good the promoters you know did a great job they brought john roberts and kenny wallace back and did a kind of a makeshift speed stage like we used to perform at you know you know back in the early 2000s and brought that back and fans came out in the big way it just had a a an old school vibe to it, uh, weekend to it, and fan interactive things to it. So congratulations to everybody involved, and also congratulations to Joy Logano, who uh, withstood not only a a battle, you know, with uh, with Kyle Busch, and then a couple of restarts at the end, some old school crossover moves by both drivers in the closing laps to, you know, to get that win, but. Uh, congratulations to him on, on, on a win, another win this year, another win at an inaugural cup race at a, at, a, at, a, at a new racetrack for that series. So all in all, it was a really good weekend when you look at what, what they were able to pull off um, and, and having the cup series perform there and, uh, and performing very well. And, you know, NASCAR's got some momentum now. And so I hope they're able to keep it going. Yeah. And people are talking about it and, uh, you know, that's what you want, talking about the race after the race. And one of the things I loved the most was when in uh, on TV during Stage 2, they brought Kenny back into the booth. And he was awesome. And I must also say, uh, Kurt Busch did the truck race, and he was awesome. I thought he was perfect, loose, brought the right ten- uh, temperament to the to the booth, which may not always reflect his temperament, but he was hilarious. Kurt Wallace, uh, I mean, uh, Kurt Busch was great. But then Kenny during stage two, um, you know, I was laughing the whole time. He was perfect. He was timely. You know, he's that St. Louis native. And uh, and I miss that. And I think that's one of those things that they need to keep going by bringing those personalities that have been in the booth before, have been commentators before. Uh, and, uh, and that really kind of m- melds the old with the new in a perfect way. And Kenny Wallace has, you know, one of the best perspectives I've ever listen to when it comes to racing and life and everything in general. And I could have told you, like I told when Kenny and I were talking, uh, if they're going to do a St. Louis race, they need to do it before um, or around Memorial Day and no later because it gets hot. My dad and my family was from, you know, his side of the family is from Hannibal, Missouri. And let me tell you, we go in there in July and August. And I mean, it was furnace hot, you know, like Sahara Desert hot. And so that's not a time to, to, to race uh, in those kind of conditions. It's just the way it is. It's kind of like in a bowl, uh, and it's just hotter in that area than it is in, in the surrounding areas. But I, I was I, really impressed I, with that. I remember racing in that race and, and being under caution. And back in those days, and they got better systems now, but we had systems where you could take air from the outside of the car and roll it through a, a cooler, like a cool system, and, and have a, a hose on top of the helmet to run cool air into the helmet. And I just remember on several opportunities, under caution, just thinking to myself, man, my air condition is broken. So I would raise my shield up to try to get some fresh air. And when I did, it's like somebody was blowing a blowtorch in my face. 
So my air conditioning was working, but it just was so hot. It made you feel like it wasn't. But overall, a great weekend uh, for NASCAR. What did you think about the race? I mean, the race itself, you know, you had the fans uh, fill in the stands. That was awesome. But you had some drama in the middle of that uh, in that race. Ross Chastain, as I said earlier, should have uh, Preparation H as his sponsor because, you know, he was up everybody's ass. And, and yeah. I love the way he races. Uh, I love that aggressive racing. We need more of it. I need, you know, I, I think, look, they have bench-clearing brawls in Major League Baseball when you throw, you know, some chin music at, at the uh, batter. Um, that's going to happen. That's human nature. That's the competition of sports. And then what you had there was Ross just kept running into the back of everybody, just like uh, Brett was talking about. And uh, and then what you saw was the reaction of not only um, Denny Hamlin, who then <laughs> kind of slowed him down and put him way out under the under the apron line and kind of, I don't, I don't know, I guess he was trying to slow him down because after the wreck he might not have been making his marks on, on time and might have been out of the race, but but really demonstrating to him uh, to Ross Chastain that that wasn't tolerated and it wasn't going to be over either. What do you think of all that? I mean, I love that kind of drama. I think well, that's, no, I just think that's overall, part of racing. I, I, I try not to get in too much about, you know, feuds on the track and all that. I, mean, I enjoy that now. I'm not involved in it. And uh, I think Ross is – he's always raced that way. Uh, I, I get Ross trying to apologize, but I wish he would not apologize for – racing how he races i think that's why that's what's gotten him to that point i mean you're you're a bull i i would consider you a bulldog attorney you don't go in the courtroom like you did in greensville county down here and kick ass in the courtroom and walk out on the front steps and say you know i'm really sorry i got emotional in the courtroom you know you just don't you don't apologize for who you are and what makes you good at what you do so you know ross cannot be going out and racing in a way that has gotten him to the point that he's at and then feel like he owes everybody an apology when the race is over. I just, I think he needs to embrace who he is and, and it's gotten him to the to point where he's got this ride. He's won two races this year. He's yeah. a contender for a championship. I don't think he should po- apologize for that. Well, and, and did you see the fan reaction too? Once that started happening, uh, the fans were up and cheering and, and it got yeah. very interested and involved. I think the race would have been good whether that was an involvement or not. I think the race was great. Um, but it adds an extra layer to it. And, and now people are talking about, you know, Denny says, you know, there's going to be your time. And, and, and he's got a number on that list. And just like Brett said, you've got a number of people that are even going to be racing against you for a championship that still have at least what they think is a, you know, a, a marker out there for you. Uh, that's going to make it, I think, a little tougher for, for Ross. What do you think NASCAR does? Do you think NASCAR is going to try to you know, break bad on them, or are they going to they going to let them race and let it work out uh, the way it should work out normally? NASCAR always they slap you on the wrist and then pat you on the back at the same time. NASCAR is in the entertainment industry, entertainment business. The things you're talking about, the drama on the track is entertaining. So sometimes they have to pretend like they don't like all that, but all that's great for people to talk about. And uh, that's drawing people back to the racetrack. So, you know, I just, NASCAR needs to stay out of the way and worry about this new car and trying to correct the issues with that and let the stuff on the track, you know, play out um, ever how it's supposed to. But I, I've I enjoyed the race. I, I enjoy the racing. And, you know, as I said a couple of times already, I try to 
I try to just sit back and not try to find something to bitch about when I watch racing. I just sit down <laughs> and try to be entertained, and and that's what I've done recently. And I've enjoyed I've I've enjoyed the on track product for the most part this year. I did. I turned the Xfinity race on at Portland, and they were riding around in the rain, running thirty mile an hour, and I turned it off. But mm. the the Gateway race I enjoyed, the Truck race I enjoyed. Um, so, um, but I, I try to be more like that now. Just sit down and be entertained. That's what I try yeah, to but, do. And I, and I like to finish too, cause you have two of the guys that are some of the bad boys in racing, uh, you know, racing for the, the checkers and, uh, and you have Kyle Bush right there and, and you've got uh, Joey Logano, uh, racing and they raced clean. I thought it was a, it was really a, a technician's finish, uh, for racing. And I thought that was a real Real big thing, and uh, and a real good way to end that otherwise excellent race. And I agree with you totally on how what St. Louis did makes you want to be there. And I think all our fans, every fan of NASCAR, needs to understand to support NASCAR and to support the product they're putting on the field, uh, on the track, uh, and in the lower series. You need to go out there and support your uh, local stadiums, uh, your local tracks, and your local drivers and your NASCAR drivers. So it's great to see. I like to see that turnaround a lot. You know the one the one uh, race I did like a lot was the uh, the truck race. You know, and I think there's a lot of guys uh, in that truck race that maybe aren't ready for truck NASCAR series racing. But uh, one one young driver that I've been watching, and especially uh, my heart broke the week before when when he lost at the end was uh, Carson Hosovar, and uh, and he got hurt right there at the end too. A pretty big crash, a pretty violent crash, and I understand maybe a broken ankle or something. So. Uh, certainly we're thinking about him, but he, you know, that you can see in whether it's Haley Deegan or Carson Hosovar, you can see a lot of those personalities that you and Brett were talking about that you need to have in NASCAR coming out uh, of the truck series. Uh, you see some of those in Xfinity and hopefully uh, they are peppered in, into uh, the, into the top series uh, because uh, there's a lot of drivers out there that you can root for now uh, on at every level of this, uh, of, of from cup all the way down to truck, and and even I'm seeing some in ARCA, but uh, that's that's promising for the sport. Not you look, you're, the you're, good, you're, but the I know you're, good. you're reaching now. We're not talking about ARCA at all. Um, <laughs> I want to say before we get out of here, uh, talk about racing. The most important part about racing is to, to know that the Smart Modified Tool cranks back up on June the 29th at Caraway. So we've had a little little break, a little vacation from. Uh, Stanley Sadler Racing and look forward to getting uh, Jonathan and the team back on track uh, June 29th at Caraway. so those of y'all down in that area that want to go see some great open wheel modified racing make your plans to be at Caraway on June 29th to watch the that's a Wednesday is it not it's Wednesday week. night Wednesday night yeah. watch and number 22 um, yeah watch the 22 but you won't see the SLG consulting coach it'll be in repair uh, trying to get a new window. No, just drive down there with the, with the uh, trash bags covered up the windows. That's how oh, you get man. people's attention. Uh, nice. Uh, do that. Bill, yeah, it's been nice good look. again to catch up uh, with you another week, buddy. I'm glad you're uh, glad you're feeling better. And, um, I, mean, I, I, mean, I mean, I have so much fun doing this, and today was great, yes, you know, with, with Brett. And, you know, the, the, the challenge we have now is – finding somebody next week that's going to be even better so good luck with that it's on me and i and i had them lined up until you said hey we got brett griffin and i i told them all well, that, you, you're, uh, we'll you're on again. tap next week so let's yes sir uh, you work on that as always we appreciate everybody listening to the podcast we appreciate pacematic uh for their uh support 
and giving us this platform and allowing us to really come on, have some fun, but also talk about things that are important to the lives of uh, people in the Commonwealth of Virginia and other parts of the country as well. As always, Bill, was a lot of fun. Thank you, Hermie. I love you, brother. Uh, I love doing this podcast. We're having such a good uh, good time doing it, and the and the numbers of the of the listenership that's growing is is getting bigger. If you want to see it, uh, if you want to go back and listen to any of our podcasts, you can go to our website www.sadlerstanleyracing.com. Don't get it reversed. It's sadlerstanleyracing.com. You can also uh, follow us on Facebook at Leaning Right and Turning Left. Uh, Facebook page. Uh, go and like and share that with your friends. You can find us on all the platforms uh, from Spotify to iTunes and iPodcast. Uh, we always love your support. If you get the chance, give us a five-star rating after you listen to us. And if you've got some questions, send them to us. And hey, we've got this new angle. We've got Hermes Answer Machine, a throwback to the time when you put an answer machine on your desktop. You'd plug the phone line into it. You'd record a message and uh, and you record a message for us. We're going to play it here and have Hermes' response. It's always going to be fun and funny. We've just launched that. You can find that on our Facebook page, Leaning Right and Turning Left Facebook page. You can make a recording right there, and we'll play it on the air. And if we play it on the air, we'll send you some of that Sadler Stanley merch uh, for your involvement. We really appreciate everybody who listens um, because we're having a great time. We hope you are, too. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley. And I'm leaning right. And I'm Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left. This is Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pace Somatic. And we'll see you again next week. God bless you all. Have a great week. Get the house you want with the payment you want at buywithconrad.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this at buywithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. The first step to buying a house is buywithconrad.com.